Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Force, of course. I'm your host, Ted, and do I have a show for you today? The answer is yes, I do. We're going to do a quick Bad Batch recap. We're going to do uh, another episode of What's Up With That Guy. Specifically, we're starting the Bounty Hunter Breakdown series. Plus, we're going to poke some fun at the fathers of Star Wars in honor of Father's Day. So stick around after the intro, and we'll get right into it. Jedi is power. It's an energy field created by all living things. It surrounds us, penetrates us, binds the galaxy together. The Force. The Force. The Force. The Force. All right, once again, welcome to The Force, of course. I'm your host, Ted, and I'm not wearing pants. That's information you can have for free. I said earlier, I've got a doozy of a show for you, and um, I hope to deliver on that. I don't want to waste a lot of time talking about it, so we're just going to jump right in with the Bad Batch recap. Um, We're talking about episode eight, titled Reunion, and that tells you right there, the team is going to see Crosshair again. Uh, So we basically pick up right where episode seven left us. Uh, We're still on the planet Bracca, and the team is scavenging for weapons that they can sell in order to get out from under the debt they owe Sid or Space Rhea Perlman. What they didn't know is that the scrappers notified the Empire and Admiral Rampart dispatched Crosshair and his team of specialized non-clone troopers to deal with them. At the same time, the Kaminoans, uh, Tonway and Nala say, I, I don't know. I get them mixed up. Uh, but they talk about sending yet another bounty hunter after Omega. They really want Omega back. I don't know what, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what's behind all that. But this solves the mystery of who hired Fennec Shand back in episode four, I believe it was. Crosshair shows up and seems to have our heroes kind of backpedaling the whole time until finally they foil a trap that he has set for him uh, and he gets badly burned in the process. Two things of note happen at the end of this episode. Number one, and most importantly in my book, is we see Cad Bane. I love this character. He's so cool. Uh, He's the bounty hunter that the Kaminoans hired to retrieve Omega, and he does so in spectacular fashion. It was really pretty dramatic and kind of action-packed and awesome. Everything you would expect from Cad Bane. Uh, The second thing is Crosshair is seriously injured, and we see him being bandaged up, and a lot of people, a lot of Fans kind of lost their shit at this, trying to say this is the origin story of Dengar. Now, if you're one of those people, just stop that. Stop it, okay? It's not true. This is not Dengar. They're just totally different people. Crosshair is measured and calculating, and Dengar is just all about shock and awe. Um, Now, I'm sure some of you are actually saying, who the hell is Dengar? That's okay. That's fine. No judgment here. Let's close out the Bad Batch segment by saying, I'm glad the story is flying along now. The second half of this series promises to be loads of fun, and I'm really looking forward to it. Now, to answer the question of who is Dengar, as a part of the What's Up With That Guy series that I do, I wanted to showcase the bounty hunters from the Star Wars universe. Those are some of my favorite characters anyway, so... Plus, it's my show, I do what I want. 
So let's jump right into what's up with that guy, Bounty Hunter Breakdown Edition. And we're going to focus today on Dengar Roth. Yes, Dengar has a last name, and that last name is Roth. Maybe he's related to David Lee Roth. I don't know. That wasn't in my research. So Dengar is a bounty hunter from the planet Corellia. Uh, that's the home planet of Han Solo. Now, we first see Dengar in that famed bounty hunter scene from The Empire Strikes Back on board uh, Darth Vader's Star Destroyer. Looking at that scene during my research, I was shocked at how little screen time Dengar had. Even Forlom and Zuckus got close-ups. The best Dengar got was a close-up shot of his shoulder, maybe some of his back. Um, a full body shot of him can be seen with all the bounty hunters in that introductory shot. Like, it goes by so fast. And my memory of this scene as a kid had failed me. I thought for sure he was more prominently featured, but it, clearly he wasn't. And this wasn't because of an edit that Uncle George made. It's just, that's just how it went. In Return of the Jedi, when Luke falls into the Rancor pit and Jabba's throne, like, slides forward so he can get a better view, we can see the back of Dengar once again, so he's there. Uh, side note, Bosk is also in Jabba's palace, so there you go. And they often work together. Played by a gentleman named Morris Bush, a British boxer turned actor. That was the last we would see of old Dengar in live action anyway. At least I thought so, but we'll get to that in a bit. Even though we didn't get a good look at Dengar in The Empire Strikes Back, or really Return of the Jedi, we did eventually get a pretty good look at him on his action figure card. He was slightly disfigured, like somebody had done something to his face. He was scarred up a little bit and wrapped in what we assumed were bandages. And it appeared that we weren't seeing Dengar on his best day. The backstory we were given back then was that he was a talented swoop bike racer and was often being compared to one Han Solo. Uh, he grew tired of this comparison and challenged Solo to a winner-take-all race, during which Han came in a little hot, so to speak, and burned Dengar's face with his thruster. That sounded dirty. Causing Dengar to crash. His injuries were so severe that cybernetic implants were the only thing that could save him. Essentially, the part of his brain that controlled sympathy, empathy, or compassion, that was basically removed, leaving him a rage-filled hate monster. So, you've got that going for you. Now, he was set on revenge against Han Solo the whole time, so he was in it to capture Captain Solo in The Empire Strikes Back. We see Dengar as a younger man, teamed up with Bosk, and a very young Boba Fett in the Clone Wars animated series. Now, this incarnation is voiced by Simon Pegg, and it's also the reason I say Crosshair cannot be Dengar, because Dengar already exists at this point. In these episodes, Dengar seems pretty capable, and uh, he teamed up with Bosk and Boba Fett enough that I have to assume he was probably pretty damn good at his job. Dengar would show up from time to time in some of the books and comics written after the original trilogy, so if you're interested, you can check that out, specifically uh, his part in Tales of the Bounty Hunters. Uh, that was a collection of short stories. That was pretty good, from what I remember. I mentioned earlier that the original trilogy may not have been the last time we saw Dengar in live action. And I don't know if I like this or not. I don't think I do. I feel like it's a bit of a cheap shot. But in The Rise of Skywalker, apparently Dengar did make an appearance. In what's known as the Thieves' Quarter on Kajimi, where we meet uh, the likes of Zori Bliss and Babu Freak, I'm told that Dengar is also there in a really fucked up way. I don't even want to describe him. He looks like a... Man, he looks like a terrible robot with his head kind of stuck on top. He's almost completely cybernetic. His face is all disfigured. He actually looks pickled. It's just so disappointing. 
I'd rather he just fade into oblivion after Return of the Jedi than than to see Dengar this way. I have to assume that Dengar is going to show up at some point in one of the many series that Disney is promising. Uh, the Book of Boba Fett is my best guess, but he could also very easily show up in, uh, well, he could show up in The Bad Batch, honestly, or Andor, Ahsoka, Kenobi, but I doubt it, or even The Mandalorian. He exists in all those timelines. I just hope wherever he shows up, they finally do him some justice and make him a viable threat. Now that just about does it for this episode of What's Up With That Guy, Bounty Hunter Breakdown Edition. Uh, Next week, we'll continue our tour of Bounty Hunters and learn all about everyone's favorite cranky lizard, Bosk. Now let's move on to something else I promised a while back. I said we would dig into the five crime syndicates of the Star Wars universe. And I thought maybe that would be one good episode, but that one good episode would really be a major download and probably just boring as hell for me and you. I don't mind boring you guys, but I don't want to be bored. So we're going to do one at a time. And I figured since this episode already has kind of a lot going on, I'll start with one that there's just not much information out there. So it'll be short and sweet. Uh, So we're going to start with the Crimora Syndicate. Now, Crimora's typical modus operandi has been to provide the Empire with intel. We know very little about them other than the fact that the only members we've actually seen are in the Darth Vader comics, and what we see is made up of alien species. Um, And it's not like one specific species, like it's a ragtag bunch. And uh, they operate on both sides of the Empire, but they don't seem to exactly be a superpower. It's said that the families of the Crimora Syndicate aren't exactly honor-bound, so don't trust them to stick to their word. It's also known that the Crimora used the droid Gotra as muscle during important missions. Now, the droid Gotra, I, I assume I'm saying that right, I don't know. I didn't know anything about that. I'm, I wasn't huge into the comics at this point. I had given them up, so I'm learning here along with you. Now, the droid Gotra, again, I assume I'm saying that right, is a band of droids who fought against the Empire after basically being abandoned by them after the Clone Wars. Made up mostly of repurposed battle droids, the Gotra was widely feared, and just the mention of the Gotra was enough to scare most sensible folks. There really isn't much info available about the Crimora, like I said. The only mention of it in live action is in an offhanded remark in Solo, a Star Wars story. If you weren't paying attention, you may have missed it. And I'm afraid a lot of people weren't paying attention to that movie. Uh, But that's a topic for another time. For now, let's take a break. And when we come back, in honor of Father's Day, we'll celebrate the fathers of the Star Wars universe. Hey, welcome back. I hope you enjoyed the break. I know I did. I played outside with our 26 dogs and made a delicious pasta salad. Now, for the rest of this episode, I kind of wanted to discuss the fathers of the Star Wars universe in honor of Father's Day this past Sunday. Along the lines of what I did with the Mother's Day special, if that's what you want to call it, it felt special. My parents always said I was special. Anyway, let's get into some of the fathers of Father's Day. Uh, So who comes to mind when you think of fathers? The first one that I jumped to was Django Fett. Now, cloning is a far cry from actual parenting, uh, but he was a father to Boba, teaching him the ways of the universe and giving him the tools to thrive and survive. Technically, he's the father of every clone out there, so that's an overwhelming number of diapers to change. Uh, I probably would have been looking for an exit strategy at that point. Next, if we're going to count clones, 
I assume we have to include old Sheev Palpatine in this list. As fathers go, Palps has to be just about the worst damn example we have in the Star Wars universe. He had his quote-unquote son killed, tried to do the same to his granddaughter, and it's just generally icky. Like in The Rise of Skywalker, he was pretty friggin' gross looking. Like, did you see his fingers and those milky eyes? What the fuck is up with those milky eyes? That's nasty. Darth Vader's the next dad on this list, and he's pretty awful too. Uh, Let's see, he imprisoned his daughter, tortured her with a floating torture ball interrogation droid thingy, um, blew up her home planet to teach her a lesson, and then started in on his son. He attacked Luke not once, but twice with a lightsaber and even cut his son's hand off. Dick move. I'm not claiming to be parent of the year here, but I know that dismemberment is not the way to motivate your kids. Somebody get children's services on the phone. Now, while we're waiting for children's services, let's talk about the one and only Han Solo. Looking at this list, Han Solo should have been the bright point. He should have been the one like, obviously, he's going to be the best father in the Star Wars universe, right? Now, if you're considering the Han Solo from all the printed material, the books that were out there that that deal with our heroes' further adventures then you'd have a clear winner. He and Leia go on to have three children, uh, Jason and Jaina, the twins, and a younger son named Anakin. And Han truly was a standout father to them. Supportive, loving, caring. Um, But we're not talking about that, Han, are we? No, we're unfortunately going to have to talk about Han Solo, the father that we see in the sequel trilogy. Now, I say unfortunately because J.J. Abrams and the powers behind the sequel trilogy really screwed the neighbor's cat when it comes to dealing with Han Solo. In the original trilogy, Han was portrayed as the aloof scoundrel who wanted people to think he was just out for himself, but deep down we learned that he had a good heart. In The Force Awakens, it feels like he can't deal with his kid's special abilities, so he sends him off to Uncle Luke's summer camp where shit really hits the fan And when it all goes sour and his son needs him the most, he turns into a deadbeat dad, flying a space dumpster full of Rathars around, essentially abandoning his family in their time of need. What lazy and utterly disappointing character development. But this is the Star Wars we have, so we deal with it. Han Solo, not winning any awards here. As far as biological fathers go, that was all I could think of. But what about adoptive fathers? Star Wars is all about found family. And the way Din Djarin took in little baby Yoda, sweet, sweet little baby Yoda, is a prime example. When we meet Mando, he's a ruthless, cold bounty hunter who does whatever it takes to complete his bounties. Then he sees this seemingly helpless 50-year-old baby. That's weird. I feel like I'm talking about myself here. Uh, And he just takes him in to the detriment of his own personal code at times. That sacrifice is the best example of fatherhood I can hope to use as an example of what it means to be a good parent. So Mando is our clear winner here. As an honorable mention, I think we all owe a debt of gratitude to Uncle George Lucas, the father of Star Wars. Without his vision, leadership, and sacrifice, we wouldn't have this rich universe of characters and events for me to ramble on about. And... 
while we're at it, I guess Dave Filoni and John Favreau as well for being foster fathers to George's creation and carrying on in that toy box far, far away. So there you have it, the fathers of Star Wars. Not a lot of winners, guys. It's really time to raise your game. Let's, uh, let's get better at this, shall we? Let's talk about convention news. The Cincinnati Comic Expo has started making their special guest announcements, and even though the show isn't until mid-September, I'm super stoked. So far, they've announced Katie Sackhoff, who played Bo-Katan in The Mandalorian. We also have Timothy Zahn, the man who resurrected Star Wars in the mid-90s with his Heir to the Empire series, and the introduction of Grand Admiral Thrawn, who will make an appearance in the Ahsoka series, I'm almost positive. Plus, we have the voice of Anakin Skywalker from The Clone Wars, Matt Lanter. So with just those three guests announced, this con is already proving to be huge for Star Wars fans. And they still have a ton of guests to, to announce. Oh, man. I don't know about you, but I'm going to need a loan. The kiddos have already requested the day off, so regardless, it should be a good time. This will be the first comic expo since the pandemic hit. I know last year's they had to cancel, so... I don't know what exactly it's going to look like, but I can't wait to see it. Speaking of the kids, I thought I'd end this episode with a personal story. Like I said, it's my show. I do what I want. So buckle up. Here we go. Father's Day was this past Sunday. And I have to say, my family knocked it out of the goddamn park this year. My daughter, knowing what a beer glassware snob I am, Got me some personalized glasses, which will definitely come in handy. I already have. And that's a great gift. Thoughtful, useful, fun, right? My wife got in on the action and got me a lot of the uh, harder to find, I guess you can say, six-inch Black Series figures. Finally got that Greedo I've been looking for, which was amazing. Um, and then I opened my son's gift. And to say that I wasn't ready is a huge understatement. In the last episode, I talked about how I've been really getting into Star Wars puzzles, and I told a short story about how my sister Connie and I did a puzzle when I was a kid, and it was a, a shot of Han, Chewie, Luke, and Ben in the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon. I have pretty fond memories of that experience. Now I told that story on the show and basically forgot about it. That shouldn't be surprising, um, one thing you'll learn about me eventually is once I say the words, I forget the words. So I had forgotten all about telling that story until I opened his gift and was staring at that exact puzzle. The emotions that hit me in that moment are indescribable. What he didn't know is that puzzle was the first Star Wars toy I ever had. I got it for Christmas late in 1977. The figures weren't out yet, remember? So staring down now at this puzzle caused a wash of childhood memories and emotions that I simply didn't expect to have to deal with. Andrew heard the episode and without truly knowing what a big deal it was, he found a factory sealed version of this puzzle five hours away, drove out there on his own to get it, and gave me a piece of my childhood back. That was incredible. So thanks, buddy. I, I know you're listening. Okay, so just in case you're wondering, when I saw it was factory sealed, I was seriously torn with what to do with it. I mean, this thing has been in a box sealed since 1977. 
Do I find a way to display the box as is and leave it sealed? Or do I open it and put this puzzle together? Truth be told, I let Andrew make the call. And he says we open it and work the puzzle and then frame it. So that's what we're going to do. There you go. That's my Father's Day story and how my family kicked ass. I hope your Father's Day went uh, as well. Anyway, thanks so much for listening. This has been The Force of Course. My name is Ted. I really appreciate you coming back week after week. I hope you're enjoying it. If you are, please tell someone. Call a neighbor. Call a friend. Call the cops. I don't care. Help me spread the word. If you're up to it, I really appreciate a nice five-star rating. It's not going to hurt you. Maybe even a review, shining review, telling people how awesome I am. You don't have to. I'm not going to pay you, so do what you want. You can follow the show on social media. Look for The Force, of course, on Instagram and Facebook. I love it when you guys interact with me there. Also, you can email me directly at theforceofcourse77 at gmail.com. I'm still looking for someone to tell me how Star Wars relates to that beginning scene in the Temple of Doom. Also, I'd love to see some Lobot shots. Show me your Lobots. That sounded dirty too. Jesus. The music taking me out is from Closed on Sunday. Check them out on Instagram and YouTube. They have some really cool stuff out there. Thanks so much again. I hope you had a good time. And until next week, play with your toys.